0: for people to explore Christianity, um, to ask questions, no pressure, um, around tables where relationships could be built. And I thought, this sounds awesome. We need to do this. And so I approached uh, Larry and Janice Podorf. I said, you guys would be great leaders for this. And they said, well, let's do it. And they've been leading for 24 years. Uh, This this ministry at Christ Community, we've had over 1,500 people go through Alpha and their lives, so many stories of Atheists becoming Christ followers, agnostics open to exploring Jesus, just these amazing stories Or people who knew Jesus, just deepening their, their experience, their commitment to him. And so we have loved Alpha. And a few months ago, I was thinking, I wonder, I mean, Alpha is amazing. 20, 24 million, glo- globally, 24 million people have been participants in Alpha. This is a worldwide movement. Um, and I started to think a couple months ago, does our church know how awesome Alpha is? Have we celebrated that enough and talked about it enough? And so we decided, hey, let's do an Alpha weekend. Um, right before we start the next Alpha class, let's do an Alpha weekend. And so that's what this weekend is about. I'm super excited. We have Craig Springer here. Craig is the executive director of Alpha USA. So uh, this, it is so cool to have him here um, sharing with us. And uh, Craig uh, was a, a church planter for a while in Prague. He has served on the teaching staff at Willow Creek and uh, Cherry Hills um, in in, uh, Highlands Ranch. And so uh, we're we're so excited to have Craig here. So could we just extend a warm welcome to Craig Springer? Come on up, Craig. And I want to absolutely I want to pray for Craig. Um, He loves Jesus and uh, as excited about people experiencing more of Jesus through ministries like Alpha, and so let me pray for him as he shares. Lord, thank you for Craig, thank you for his family, thank you for his ministry, and um, his leadership of Alpha in this in this country. And we thank you that he's here, and we pray for him now. Just your words to be spoken through him, and that our hearts would be open and receptive to all that you want to do in and through us. And so fill him now, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. You
1: guys have an enormous privilege of Pastor Allen. He's coming up on 30 years of ministry at Christ Community Church. It's been incredible to get to know him and your church. I can't even begin to imagine the amount of lives and families that have been impacted by God through this church and through his faithful service. So very glad to be here with you. My family couldn't make it, even though we are from Colorado. I love Colorado. We've been here six years now. I'll never, ever, ever move, God willing. But they sent along a hello selfie. So say hello to my wife, Sarah. We've been married 20 years now. Do you know how convenient it is to have been married in the year 2000? God God was like, Craig, I know you're a little bit forgetful, so I'm gonna make this really easy for you. Just remember what year it is. You know how long you've been married, 20, 20, 20 years, I got that. This is Isabel, she is 10 years old, and then Isaiah is now 12 years old. And they are of the age that I no longer pretend they're beating me at Monopoly, they actually just beat me at Monopoly. This is a very fun season of parenting. Those of you that are in the younger years, there is hope on the horizon. They will go to bed by themselves at some point in time. I want to talk today about making mistakes, and it's mostly because I make a lot of mistakes. Like the time that I had to put my house for sale on the market. I went into the backyard. We had a rotting kids sandbox that I had to dismantle Where do you put sand? A whole sandbox full of sand. I had no idea until I found these window wells lining the foundation of my house. I thought, this is great. So I got a shovel and just laid all that sand down around the frame of these window wells of the house. This was in the Midwest at the time. Three days of downpour nonstop. I'm just resting, relaxing. We're one day away from putting our house on the market. I walked downstairs into our carpeted finished basement to... (laughs) Three inches of flooding, the entire basement. I had clogged the drains of these window wells with sand in my bright idea. That was an expensive mistake. Not as expensive as the mistake NASA made with the Mars Climate Orbiter satellite. Lockheed designed it for the Imperial Measurement System. They handed it off to NASA. NASA launched it with metric-based coordinates. That's a $125 million mistake just floating away in space. So we all make expensive mistakes. Can we admit it? Can I see a show of hands? Who's made an expensive mistake in here? Yes. Every husband, you have better have your hand in the air. You're getting elbows (laughs) flying. I'm giving you a chance. I made a very expensive mistake a number of years back uh, in the life of someone I love. And it just about shut out the work of God in me and then through me in their life. And, and the reality is is I needed a breakthrough in this relationship, a miracle, but I was making, unintentionally, a miracle-stopping mistake. And I think it might be true for many or most of us that we all need a breakthrough in something, right? A marriage issue, a a sense of depression that we're carrying, a habit that we're trying to break, a friendship, someone in our lives that we're longing to come to know the hope and love of Jesus in. But we unintentionally make this miracle-stopping mistake. And so what is it? We'll talk about that today and then what needs to change in us in order that we can experience more of God's breakthrough in our lives. We'll do it by jumping into 2 Kings 4. I'm in verse 1. We'll have it on the screens. If you don't have it on an app or in a Bible in front of you, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Quick stop. This is the Old Testament. In those times, God spoke primarily through prophets, filled by his spirit. And Elisha was sort of the the head of the prophets, the super prophet. And so here he is. Your servant, my husband, is dead, this woman said. "And And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? I don't know about you. If I'm this woman... And I'm talking to the super prophet, you know, direct connection to God, so to speak. And I'm like, hey, come on, I'm desperate here. I don't want to hear something that sounds a little bit like walking into Jake Crew asking for a pair of chinos and the sales associate saying, how can I help you? What can I do for you today? It's like, what is going on here? Come on, I need a breakthrough. You know it. Have you ever prayed and you get a response like that from God, like, That doesn't make any sense, God. Are you kidding me? You know I need this to change. I've been crying out to you, and nothing has happened. It's interesting. Jesus does something very similar. Blind Bartimaeus runs up to Jesus. He says, Jesus, help me. And Jesus' amazing divine response is, what would you have me do for you? I'm like, what are you saying? I don't understand this. Why does the prophet Elisha and then Jesus, in the face of very clear circumstantial problems where someone is crying out for help, ask this sort of question, what do you want me to do? I mean, there must be something more to break through that Elisha and Jesus understand. They're trying to unearth here. There's there's more than just sort of that heavenly snap of a finger and then circumstances change. So often when we're facing an issue out there that we need breakthrough in, we think it's that issue out there that needs to change, but maybe there's something that Jesus and Elisha are trying to unearth, some change that has to occur within first before breakthrough can happen out there. So for our outer world to reform, our inner world needs to transform first. For something to change out there, we have to first begin asking the question, what needs to change in here? And so what does need to change? Well, I've noticed in myself that I develop this defense mechanism. You know, I, I want breakthrough in someone or something, and I ask God or I try, I have a conversation, or I make an apology or I step forward in some way, and what happens? I get let down. Nothing changes. No breakthrough. So over time, enough of those letdowns pile up, and I just stop trying. You might too. And then... More, more letdowns, more time progresses, and we begin inadvertently to stop admitting our need for the breakthrough altogether, and that sets in hard over time, and we stop desiring the breakthrough. It sort of deadens within our hearts because it hurts too much to hold on to something we're hoping for and not seeing anything happening. And we might think this is a form of, of self-survival, right? It's just too hard to long for this anymore, but there's another name for it. It's defeat. It's when we've let the possibility for breakthrough die in our hearts altogether. We've given over defeat to defeat the control of the wheel in this area in our lives. And the real problem no longer is that circumstance out there that we need to see breakthrough in. The real problem is now that we've been defeated by defeat in here. And this is The miracle-stopping mistake that this woman, this widow, was making. 2 Kings 4.2. Elisha replied to her, tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant, here's the defeat, has nothing here at all. Nothing. She said, except a small jar of olive oil. She's defeated by defeat. She's lost hope that with God, all things are possible. No resources available anywhere in here. There's nothing that could ever multiply into a miracle. And that is the miracle-stopping, expensive mistake that I was making in my relationship with my dad for many, many years. So in many ways, he really was a good and loving father. But I do remember as the years progressed, the, the harsh arguments that just turned my heart cold and uh, the distance that began to set in over the years. He disengaged emotionally, relationally from me, from our family. He turned to workaholism. Uh, he just became unavoidable, or unavailable, sorry. And he grew up in a Jewish family, but at this season in his life, he wanted absolutely nothing to do with God or you know, any context of seeking the, the meaning and purpose of life. It also felt as if he wanted absolutely nothing to do with me, although he did never say that. But it's sort of the message I picked up over the years. And so I became a Christian in my very late teenage years. Sort of rebellious journey to saying yes to Jesus. And, it, and then I entered Christian ministry. And it actually only uh, exasperated the tension and the distance and the, and the strain. And I started taking on resentment and bitterness. And I created more distance between us. I just got angry. And so in this season of my life, if Elisha or Jesus came to me and said how would you like me to help you? I would have said, there is nothing available. There's nothing you can do. I've tried, I've prayed, I've talked, I've, I've done everything possible. There's nothing that could ever change this circumstance. I had been defeated by defeat. I gave defeat the wheel of my life in this area. And I want to ask you today, before I go any further, is there an area in your life where defeat has maybe even just one hand on the wheel, a person. That you've been longing to see come to Jesus, a relationship that's been fractured, a habit that has its grip on you. Where is defeat seeping in? The first step this grieving, scared widow had to realize is again that the problem wasn't the difficulty out there, it was that she had defeat. Within. And, and again, this is what Elisha and Jesus are getting at. They're trying to unearth desire again, unearth faith again, because we can't just change outer circumstances. We want to change our soul in the process. That's why they're asking, How can I help? Because they want to spark and ignite something new again. They want to rekindle hope. That is the first step to defeating. Defeat is allowing ourselves to be rekindled by the hope that with God, all things are possible. And if we don't rekindle even just a tiny little spark of hope, then we can't move on to step two of defeating defeat, which is releasing the resource. Now, what do I mean by releasing the resource? Well, if you study scripture, you will see God will do miracles. God does breakthroughs on every page. He will do the supernatural, but it almost always begins through the release of a natural resource first. God's always looking for a foothold that we create by some little natural amount of faith. Then He can bring more of heaven to earth. So we have to step forward first. It's like the priest. I don't know if you remember this passage, if you've seen it, where they step forward with the Ark of the Covenant and to the flood stage of the Jordan River. It's it's gushing, they have to cross through carefully. And they first have to step in and get their feet wet, and then the Jordan River parts, and they can pass through. It's this widow who's going to discover in just a few moments as we read the text that there is something to do with this small jar of olive oil, the natural resource first before the supernatural can be multiplied into a miracle. It's Jesus feeding the 5,000. Many of you know this story. And people were starving. And he turns to his people and he says, what do you have? What's just, just give me something, any little natural thing. Just a kernel of faith. He say, well, I don't know. We've got these seeming meaningless five loaves and two fish. He's like, yes, that's all I need for breakthrough. Give it to me. Give thanks to the Father and multitudes are fed. We see this pattern again and again and again. Release the resources already in our grip. And God will multiply the natural into the supernatural. The Apostle Paul takes it even a step further. He uses these words in 2 Corinthians 6.1. We are God's co-workers. Think about what it means to be a co-worker. When it comes to God doing his breakthroughs in this world, we're his co-workers. We are the conduits of the kingdom of heaven On this earth. So, unless we're committed to providing that foothold with just a little bit of something, just just a little bit of natural, through a little bit more effort, a little bit more prayer, a little bit more time, another apology, another relational attempt, whatever, we might actually miss the breakthrough of God. And He's just waiting there for us to be that foothold. He looks to you and me and says, You're not only invited to participate in this breakthrough, you are necessary. And so I started seeing this reality playing out in my relationship in my own heart with my dad. I realized I am defeated by defeat. It's true. There's nothing, I thought. There's nothing that could lead to repair. And I was a pastor of a church about 45 minutes away from where he lived. And we were building up to this big sort of Father's Day outreach. And I'm standing on stage telling everyone, like, this is going to be amazing. Lives are going to be changed. You know, bring your dads, bring your grandfathers, bring your nephews, bring your, you know, whatever. Everyone, come on. And then in the back of my head, I'm hearing the Holy Spirit say, Craig, practice what you preach. I'm like, oh, I should probably take a risk and invite my dad. And so I did. And he came. And more on that in just a bit. 2 Kings 4, verse 3. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. She got the breakthrough she needed, right? And when I read this, I get the impression that God would have filled however many empty jars that she placed before him. Now, we don't know the number, but let's be imaginative uh, imaginative for a second here. Imagine... She brought three empty jars before the Lord. You know, she had a little bit of defeat in her heart. She thought, there's nothing available. You know, this super prophet's asking me these strange questions. I'll get a jar, whatever. It's just an empty, dusty jar. It seems insignificant. And she thinks, well, that won't be enough. I better get one or two, two more. So I'll collect three jars. There you go, super prophet. What are you going to do now? Right? Now, what do you think she would have experienced in that moment? A three-jar miracle. I think they would have been filled up. But imagine with me if she had defeated defeat, rekindled just a little bit of hope. You know what? With God, all things are possible. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He loves me. He's all powerful. Nothing can stand in the way of what he wants to accomplish. I'm going to get a jar and another one. I know they're empty and dusty, but this is God we're talking about. I'm going to get another jar and another one. I'm going to get every empty jar in this town. I'm going to the next town over and getting every empty jar there. I'm going to collect 300 empty jars and put them before my God in heaven and see what he can do what do you think would have happened then? She would have had a 300-jar miracle. So what is the difference between a three-jar miracle and a 300-jar miracle? It's not a trick question. However many empty jars she placed before the Lord. So if she allowed defeat to take over, she would have allowed a limited breakthrough to take over hold. She would have thought, you know, I just, I just can't imagine anything God could do here. But if we can rekindle that hope and believe again with God, all things are possible. When it comes to our breakthroughs, we won't stop at three. We'll go all the way to 300. We'll say, I'm going to try again. I'm going to ask again. I'm going to do this again because it's God we're talking about. He's all powerful. With him, all things are possible. He might just fill these empty jars I place before him. The amount of breakthrough you experience might just match the amount of need that you place before the Lord. The amount of outpouring that we experience might just match the amount of outcry that we never give up pouring out to the Lord. And so what are some empty jars that we can bring before him? I'll get real practical. I'm just going to mention two. The first is an invitation An invitation is an empty jar before the Lord. We have so many friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors, you know, Starbucks barista acquaintances, you name it, in our lives. We want to see them know forgiveness, peace, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit through forgiveness in Jesus. We long for them. And so we pray prayers like this. God, just zap them, you know, do something. And we forget we're co-workers in God's kingdom, we're necessary in this context. Every invitation we make to those people in our lives and those we love has the potential to change eternity. And it might seem like in the moment it's meaningless, it's insignificant, it's just a sort of an empty ask, an empty jar, dusty, that we put, so to speak, before the Lord in their lives. But I'm telling you, everyone has potency. And so you've heard about Alpha. You guys have been doing Alpha for a number of years. It's incredible. It's an eight to 10-week course. We create space for people to ask the big questions of life and about Christ. And no judgment. Anything is safe. It's a listening-based environment where we allow people to share their thoughts and allow God to do the work in their hearts over the course of of time, and I first got involved in Alpha as a pastor because we were wondering, like, why, why, why aren't we making headway and reaching people in our community? And then we started finding out about this thing. You know, 24 million people globally have gone through it. Last year, we worked with over 7,000 churches, campus ministries, and prisons, and just in this nation alone, over 400,000 people have gone through it. It's incredible ministry, uh, and it's and it's thriving, especially in very secular, post-Christian. Countries around the country, atheist, um, you know, Islamic-based countries around the country. Everywhere you can imagine, God isn't fully active. Well, he is. And we found that, we did a study with the Barna organization, that 82% of non-Christians who go through the Alpha course report developing a relationship with Jesus after they complete that course. <laughs> it's incredible potency. And of course, what's the number one reason why anyone ever shows up to an Alpha course? An invitation. It's just another empty jar placed out before the Lord. Another try, another attempt. It didn't work last time, I know, but try again, put out another empty jar. And I love all these stats that I just shared with you, but one life changed is so much more important. So I want to tell you about my friend Jason. He's a police officer in Aurora, Colorado. He was the first police officer to step foot into that movie theater where the shooting during that Batman Midnight premiere occurred. He secured the scene. And after that, he just fell down holding people as they passed on. And later on when he reflected about this, it felt like a cement truck just came in and just sort of dumping into my heart, just hardened cement. And then later that very same week, he said, I had to go into a home and separate a child, a domestic, uh, from the father that was beating him. Look in this kid in the eyes. And like, you can't even imagine what that was like. He said that that cement hardened that week. That's it. Jason's wife, Ashley, she didn't attend our church, but she attended MOPs, the Mothers of Preschoolers, phenomenal ministry. And she heard about Alpha that was happening in our church. And she was really concerned just about kind of Jason's heart and soul, and so she made a phenomenal invitation. She brought one more empty jar before the Lord. You know, she tried a lot already at that time. She made this this perfect invitation that every once in a while a spouse gets to make, which she said to Jason, I don't care what you say, you're going to Alpha. (laughs) And he understands who's in charge in this moment, and he said, yes, dear, I'll be there. And he's a tough guy. He's got a high and tight, you know, I mean... He was sitting in our alpha group. We don't force anyone to share. It's a low-key environment. Week one, he sits there, doesn't say a word. Do you know how that feels when there's a, there's a tough cop sitting in the corner of your group is just looking at you, doesn't say a word? And then week two, I'm thinking, okay, he's going to open up. But week two, doesn't say a word. Week three, same thing. Week four, finally he opens up. He's very kind. And he says, listen, I know what you guys are wrestling with. Many of you are here wondering, is there a God, a good God? Well, no, there isn't. Because when you've seen what I've seen, when you've held people in the moment that I've held them, you know. And they told us that story that I shared with you and just that concrete. He's like, forget it, that's it. Part of Alpha includes a weekend away, a prayer experience, an invitation for the spirit to show up and do what only God can do. Because we know that explanation alone is not faith. It's a relationship with the living God and his presence in our lives. And so we tell people on this prayer time, we say, listen, even if you don't believe this stuff, because some of it doesn't even have a great explanation. There's no explanation that will satisfy Jason's need in this moment. We said, just try this prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, if you don't believe this. And Jason, just like this, said, okay, whatever, come, Holy Spirit. And he sat there. And then three minutes later, just tears started coming down the side of his cheek. We're quiet. We don't have any, you know, music playing in the background. There's no sort of amping up an emotional moment. Volunteers get around him. Just simple prayer model. God, do more of what you're doing in Jason's heart and life. Show up, Jesus. You know, give him hope. Give him love. Very simple prayers. Anyone can pray those prayers. Just 10 minutes, and Jason's almost sobbing at this point. And after a, a little while, which is like, you know, he wipes everything off and just say, Jason, what happened? He said, ah, I literally felt like concrete shatter off my heart. I, I guess it's love, it just poured in. I can't believe I'm saying this. I love Jesus. I didn't even believe this stuff a minute ago or 10 minutes ago. It's incredible. Jason got plugged into our church. He started serving in Alpha after that. He's there every week. He's part of the greeting team right now. Three weeks after that prayer time, Jason got baptized at our church with his boys. I want you to take a look at the picture of his baptism. Just see the joy in him. Yes, let's clap for that. When I see Jason and his boys, and I now see his family living this out, Of course, I'm celebrating his life, but I I rewind all the way back to Ashley and I think, what if she was defeated by defeat? What if she thought, there's no hope for my husband? What if she tried a number of times and just gave up? What if she didn't put that one more empty jar, one more invitation out before the Lord? You all have an amazing opportunity. This week, 6.30 p.m. Tuesday, Alpha is launching here at Christ Community Church. Think through your contact list in your phone. Just scroll through it maybe as an application from this message. Who is it that God is laying on your heart? It's time to put out another empty jar, another very simple invitation. It's as easy as inviting someone to dinner, right? Hey, we're doing this thing at my church. We're doing a great meal. We're going to watch this sort of documentary about life and faith. You get to say anything you want. You don't have to show up for week two if you don't want. Just try it. That is an empty jar, and it is potent. God can do anything. He can change an eternity through that. One more empty jar I want to mention. So many of us are defeated by defeat when we think about someone we love in our life. We want them to work through Prayer is possibly the most potent jar we can place before the Lord. Every prayer we pray, it's like opening up the opportunity for breakthrough. Again, it's just that little bit of something in our natural so that God can break to, through and do the supernatural. And so when my dad came to this Father's Day service that I mentioned to you, I, I, my eyes were just opened up. I, I thought I had better start praying again because I gave up for a decade, admittedly. So I started praying and trying. God, do whatever you can do in him. I I don't even know how soften his heart to you, maybe even to me. God, just started praying and praying. And he and I started meeting together. He started coming to a couple more church services with me. Fast forwarding, my dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's. He wrestled with it for six years. Um, and one day before he lost his mental lucidity, I just was praying, putting on another empty jar before the Lord. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, just now, go, share. And so I went over to my dad's and I sat down with them and we talked about quite a bit. And, then, and I'd never thought about this way of sharing the gospel before. But I said, Dad, last week I sat with you in this very same chair and talked to you about the importance of setting up power of attorney. You know you can't take care of yourself mentally and physically. You know what's coming. And you did. You were brave enough to give over power of attorney to me. Well now, Dad, I want to talk to you about setting a power of attorney for your soul. I never heard the gospel presentation like that. And I'm like, God, you are so smart. How else do you convince an old Jewish attorney about the, you know, Messiah so he understands it? Well, and my dad got it. He said, you can't take care of yourself spiritually. You You can't take care of where you're going after you die. You can't fill your heart with peace on your own. You've tried for 74 years. You can't do that. You've got to give this over to Jesus. He's the only one who can. Will you do that now, Dad? He said, yes, I would love to. And so we prayed. You know, he said, Jesus, I, I receive you. I love you. I believe you died on the cross and rose again. And in you, I can be saved now, filled with your spirit and into eternity And, you know, after that prayer, we cried and we hugged, and he turned to me, and it didn't stop there. He spoke the words that every son who's ever been estranged from their dad longs to hear. He turned to me and said, and Craig, I just want you to know I haven't said this, but I am so proud of you. I respect who you are. In many ways, you're the man I wish I was. Yeah, I love what you're doing with your life. I mean, can you imagine? Like, this is my dad, the one whom I'd lost all hope in, the one whom I'd allowed defeat take over in my soul, the one who had stiff-armed the creator of the universe for 70-plus years of his life, the one whom I resented and hardly related to for almost 20 years. This is incredible. With God, all things are possible. And I know when sharing that 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 stirs up some things in people cuz not everyone gets that story to tell about some hard relationships in their life but I'm thankful it's my story. You know, fast forward again. He's in hospice. This is it. Um, he's been unconscious for 2 weeks. I flew in after that happened. He's out of state. Held vigil with sort of the whole family for two weeks, and he was a marathon runner, so even though he had no life support, it was like, his body just kept ticking, and uh, it was time to go. I had to catch a flight, I just felt like it's not, there's something missing still. So I put on another empty jar. God, would you just give us a chance together? And so I walked into his room just before I had to leave, and I put my hand on his cold chest, and... um, he finally opened his eyes after two weeks. And he was with us again. And I'm not making this up. And he focused in on me, kind of shifted his head just as much as he could. And he couldn't really speak, but tears started welling up. And I just leaned in really close to him. And I spoke the words of blessing back to him. Dad, I love you. I look back and there's no other dad I ever would have wanted but you. And you, you taught me sort of generosity and love. And how to turn my heart back to God over and over again, and all these things. And then I put my pastor hat on and started reciting Psalm 23 to him. You know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. You are with me, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I just said, Dad, you can go. You've trusted in him. And my sister came in and had a moment, and my mom, you know, and then he faded away. It's a miracle. Before those moments, I would have thought the story that I would have had to tell about my dad was, you know, here's this guy who lived a decent, but hard life for 70 plus years, stiff-armed God, had resentment all throughout his life and his family, and then he died. But instead, the story I get to tell you is of complete redemption and restoration. Someone coming back to the Father. A Father and a Son being reunited. Every possible blessing that could ever have been spoken between Father and Son. Spoken on this side of eternity. It, is, it was a powerful breakthrough. Yet had I given up hope. Had I not put another empty jar of a prayer. Had I allowed defeat to, def, uh, to defeat me and not tried again, asked again, made another invitation again after all those letdowns for so many years I had tried, I don't know what would have happened. And I thought that was going to be the end of of my message today. Until a couple months ago, I woke up from a dream. And I don't get too weird about these things, but I had a dream of my Uncle John and I building a house together. He was in construction, so it kind of made sense to me. I prayed about this when I woke up. And I got this sense God was just very simply saying, Craig, I want you and Uncle John to build something beautiful together. Except I hadn't talked to him for two years. I hadn't even thought about him for two years. So another story of even deeper estrangement. Uncle John was the guy as a teenager, that the cops would come to their house every two weeks knocking on the door, and they're like, where's Uncle John? You know, this has happened down the road. We're sure it's him. And that just perpetuated through his life. You know, things went south, sort of lost connection with his kids and his wife, and that was a whole mess. And he's totally on his own. He smoked... I don't know how many packs of Lucky Strike cigarettes a day for his life. Those are filterless <laughs> cigarettes. They will kill you. Well, they were killing him. So, after 2 years of zero contact, I called him after this dream, just a couple months back. Lung cancer, heart attacks. Doctors are giving him 3 months to live. I get this sense guys saying it's time for more empty jars, Craig, and I'm thinking, no. Nuh-uh. No uh. No, cuz I've tried you know, God, I've tried for decades. How many times have I tried to share the gospel with him? And he is a hardened man. He's like, no way. You know how many invitations I've made to Uncle John over the years? How many books I've like secretly slipped onto his coffee, whatever. It's like, nu-uh, this doesn't work with this guy, God. But Craig put out another empty jar. So I looked at my travel schedule. He's, he lives across the country. I just so happened next, the, week, the following week to be right in his town. So I show up, I sit down with him. We have amazing conversation. Again, I sort of end up end-of-life planning conversations with him. And I get that sense from the Holy Spirit. Okay, your empty jar is to tell your story of your dad. So I did. I told him everything I just told you. And then I got to that point and I said, Uncle John, you need to set up power of attorney for your soul. So the only one that could take care of you. And I went through the whole thing again. And I said, do you want to do that right now? And he took about half a second of hesitation and said, absolutely, I do. You know, through sort of the oxygen machine that was on him. And we prayed that prayer together. Jesus, come fill Uncle John. We believe that you died and rose again, doing something none of us could ever do for ourselves. You could fill us with your spirit and bring us into eternity And of course, I'm tearing up now, and right after this powerful, eternity-changing prayer, Uncle John turns to me and he says, Craig, don't think I'm about to shed tears right now. (laughs) But it was real. And I called him a week later, and I said, that was an amazing time of prayer together. It was so meaningful to me. And he said, Craig, that was spectacular. And I don't think he's ever used that word in his life before. I got a call on New Year's Eve and it was the hospital. Hey, your Uncle John's here. We're pulling all life support. And then 30 minutes later, he died. He didn't even make it to the new year. And again, I just think, man, what if defeat had taken over? What if I didn't put out another empty jar? I don't know, but I am God's co-worker. And You are too. If that widow stopped at three jars, she would have only maybe had a a minimal breakthrough. The same is true for you and I. We have to go and get another jar. And so I want to ask you again where are you defeated by defeat? Where does God want to bring a breakthrough into your life? And it might be for some of you today here, you don't even know this hope of Jesus Christ, and you're thinking in the back of your head, I guess. My own heart and life is that empty jar. And it's no coincidence in my mind that you're here today because you get to put that empty jar of your heart and life before the Lord who loves you and he can fill you. You have tried again and again and again to find that fulfillment. But today, right now, could be your day to be filled by him, by Jesus. All you do is say yes to him. You put that empty jar before the Lord. For some of you, it might be to put an empty jar before the Lord of that issue in your life that you've just been stuck in, like, God, I need help. I've I've tried. I can't do it anymore. I put this before you. For many or even all of us is to put an empty jar before the Lord, the people in our lives whom we long for them to come to know Jesus, and in some way we've given up or we haven't even started trying. We're God's co-workers. We're the conduits of his kingdom coming from heaven to earth The amount of breakthrough we experience might just match the amount of need that we continually place before the Lord. The level of God's outpouring might just match our level of outcry. We must defeat defeat by being rekindled by hope. How do we do it? We try again. We ask again. We pray again. And we have that chance to do that together today, being reminded of the verse that, but with God, all things are possible. So would you close your eyes with me now? It might seem silly, but we're all going to do it. Lights are low, eyes are closed. You can pretend like you're holding a jar in your hands. I'm going to give you some space to reflect and pray and hear from the Lord. What's your jar? Is it your life? Is today the day that you finally stop, that you essentially give power of attorney of your soul over to Jesus? Put your, your empty heart before him to fill. And if you're a little nervous hearing me say that right now because you think that might be me, then it might be you. And so just follow along in your heart in a prayer with me if that's you. Jesus, I can't do it on my own anymore. I apologize that I've turned away for so long. I turn to you now. I believe you died and rose again so that you can fill me. And so, Lord, fill me now from this moment forward. I am yours. For others of us, I'm going to give you some quiet moments to reflect. Put that issue, that person in your life before the Lord. And as a prayer, another empty jar. Go ahead and pray some prayers to the Lord right now, quietly. And all together, let's think of a couple names, a couple faces in our lives, people that we even haven't reached out to recently or haven't made that attempt recently of of another invitation because we've got such an incredible invitation opportunity coming up this week. Let God bring their names and faces to you. And and in that jar, imagine that's just one. You're going to make that invitation this week as as an action step following the Lord's leading. So think of who that is right now. Let God bring that person to your heart and mind. Lord, we pray the same prayer the Apostle Peter prayed. Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. We bring just that little bit that we have, Lord, but we speak to our souls now through your Spirit that with God all things are possible.